stories about what happened. It's true. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the Star Wars Canon Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me to talk about our favorite thing in the world yet again, Star Wars. I've got my Boba Fett sippy cup full of liquid to keep us going for the night, and with me I've got uh, a very good friend of mine and somebody you guys know and love. Uh, I've got the one and only Mr. Richard J. How's it going, Jay? Hello, everyone. Brian, it's great to be here again. My favorite day of the week. It is Star Wars Day, and today I sit here with my daughter's Toy Story flask, and I'm here to talk Yubnub. Yubnub. Yes, we've got, dude, I'm, mm, we don't have a lot to talk about this week. But what we do have to talk about, I'm excited to talk about. Um, we've got a few mailbag questions uh, and a couple, I don't want to say a couple of news stories, but we've got a news story I guess we could kind of go over. And, uh, a couple of upcoming canon things that we can kind of discuss a little bit. So uh, it's probably not going to be a very long episode this week. Uh, we're, we're trying to shoot for more of a 45-minute, hour-long kind of show from now on, uh, trying to, to downsize it a bit, unless we have something big come along and, uh, you know, some, a big special show or something like that. So uh, trying, to, trying to aim for a little more manageable length. So uh, before we get into talking about the, uh, the one news story wanted, uh, that we wanted to cover, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the website real quick, Star Wars Canon. What did we come up with, Jay? Was it SWCanonPodcast.com? Is that what we agreed on? Well, yeah. So we got StarWarsCanonPodcast.com. You could SWCP uh, for short or SWCanonPodcast.com. That's fair. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, working on a new website. So for those of you that had the mobile app on an Android device, you guys know that mobile app has been taken down. Uh, it's nothing that, you know, we didn't get in trouble for anything or anything like that. It's just uh, very expensive to maintain. So the app came down and we kind of all got together and decided to have a meeting. And we decided that a website would probably be the better uh, route to take. So we have more functionality with a website, more things we can do with it. Uh, and we can set up the mobile version of it to act just like the mobile app. So it's going to be like a tenth of the price. It's going to be a lot easier to maintain for us. So. Uh, that's the route we're going to be taking. So the website will have everything that the old Star Wars Canon Library.com had, uh, plus a little bit more functionality and a couple extra little things that we're going to be adding on. Uh, for those of you who are Legends fans, you're going to be very happy because we're going to be adding a whole section to this website just for Legends fans. Um, one of the things I, I like to try to uh, promote with this channel and with this podcast is that all Star Wars fans' opinions matter unless you're bullying actresses and, and, and shit like that. So uh, I, w I want the website to be a place where Legends fans and Canon fans alike can come together and talk about, you know, the universe that we all love. So uh, that's that's kind of where we're going with the website. So I, like, I, I, like I said, I think on the announcement video for the app coming down, I don't know when the site's going to go live. It's in production right now. We're working on it. Uh, and, and, and putting it together now. So uh, honestly, it sounds like it's far out, but it's not that far out if you really think about the grand scheme of things. I'm shooting to have it out before the end of the year. 
uh, with everything else going on with my day job and doing the podcast and game nights and everything like that. Uh, it's it's kind of difficult once in a while to find time to work on it. So I'm shooting to have it out by the end of the year. So uh, very, very excited about that. So with that all out of the way, uh, let's talk about the one news story that we kind of had lined up. Jay, Mando was nominated for the Best Drama Series at the WGA Awards. Um, does this surprise you at all, man? Not really, no. I mean, I'm looking at um, some of the other nominations. Um, uh, we're all familiar with the TV show Breaking Bad, one of the best shows that's come out, you know, for the you know for quite some considerable time. I think it's a great show. So, um, wasn't a big fan of the prequel series Better Call Saul. That's up for a nomination for the um, best drama. But I mean, come on. The final scenes of uh, season two of The Mandalorian, I think, is a foregone conclusion. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, the emotional outcry over uh, the appearance of Luke Skywalker with Bagger in the net uh, as a drama series, without taking into consideration all the great stuff we had during the show itself, whether it's the the whole crate dragon uh, from the very beginning of season two. Uh, all the way up to Grogu getting kidnapped, to to Bill Burr's amazing portrayal as Megs Mayfield, uh, when he takes out the Imperial officer, was uh, a highlight of uh, the season for many people, especially for that character. After you know a lukewarm reception for Bill Burr in season one, uh, but yeah, you know I'm, I'm fingers crossed for you know uh, Mandalorian, but you know I can't really complain too much if Better Call Saul takes the win as well. It is. Um, it is a, a a very popular show, although it's not one I've really given enough time to. Maybe I should go back and watch it more. I did enjoy Breaking Bad, uh, and I also enjoyed um, the the subsequent movie on Netflix. Uh, so it's probably something I would also enjoy. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed, we get uh, we can we can bag another award for Mandalorian. I uh, I'm not really surprised either, and and I think you hit the nail on the head too. It's not just the Luke Skywalker thing at the end. I, I mean, that was for for Star Wars fans, that was the big cherry on top of an already great season of of the Mandalorian. And the and one of the great things, and I think you brought it up, one of the great things about Mandalorian is that it carries its own weight. You don't have to, you know, I mean, season one showed this. You don't have to put all these extra characters in that we've seen from other mediums. The show still carries its own. You know, you don't, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It's great seeing Ahsoka. It's great seeing Bo-Katan. It's amazing seeing Luke Skywalker. It's, it's cool seeing all these characters pop up, but think back to season one and Boba Fett, obviously. But when you think back to season one and it was still its own thing at first and it didn't have all these other big mm. names coming in to kind of help support it, it was still holding its own very well. It was still an amazing show, not just for Star Wars fans. Um, yeah. and it's a great entry point for, for, you know, new fans coming into Star Wars. Um, and yeah, it, like I said, it doesn't surprise me at all. You brought it. You brought up the the exact example that I was going to use the the Bill Burr scene from season two, when he's sitting across from the Imperial officer. Um, yeah. And, and dare I say, I might get lynched for this. Actually, I may not. Uh, I, I feel like there was more development character uh, character development there for a defected stormtrooper with Bill Burr than there was for Finn and the entire sequel trilogy. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to argue the case. Um, 
what Bill Burr was given to work with for that scene, you know, and is which shocked a lot of people. Oh know, yeah, it was just his delivery of the scene. Um, I know Bill Burr as a stand-up comic, and I, you know, and have, and so do many other people. Primarily, I love Bill Burr, um, uh, and also is his Netflix show F is for Family, which is an yes. amazing show on on Netflix. Which it is, is unfortunately due to the COVID crunch, it's coming now into its final season, and they're gonna X the show after that. Um, but you know, with Finn, you know, Finn, you know, I, I, I feel for John Boyega here. You know, his criticisms were right. Yeah. You know, he, he had all the tools given to him, and he was just let down by by the by the by the writing team. You know, the guy can't act. I've been following this guy's work as an actor since he was 15. Um, we're in a film called uh, Attack the Block, which is just uh, an independent. Uh, you know, it's a movie over here. I don't know if something that would have been over in the US, mm. it was all based in um, uh, urban streets, you know, in London city itself, so I don't think it would have been a film that uh, would have made it you know, to the US, I think it might have just been a small independent movie, mm. uh, and it was a film, he plays a character who's 13 years of age, you only know the age at the end of the movie when he, he, gets, he tells you that he's 13, uh, but the movie, you know, the, the movie's basically an alien invasion of uh, these furry, uh, almost like critters. You remember the 80s movies? Oh, critters? yeah, I remember Critters. My dad it's wasn't like, even big on sci-fi, and he loved Critters. Yeah, I mean, it's like these slash critters slash, you know, mutant yogi bears. Man, mm-hmm. They just storm in this tower block in London. And that's it. That's the entire movie. Just them trying to escape from these mutant bears, you know, these alien critter bears that are just storming the tower block in London. Um, but, um, you know, I think as well, something to take to consider with The Mandalorian getting, you know, nominated for this award, you got a show where the main character very rarely even takes his own helmet off. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, obviously, throughout the second season, we saw his face more often. Uh, as the story progressed, but primarily this show is about this guy who doesn't take his helmet off. So it's going to be hard for him, you know, for the show to win the award. Uh, I was just checking here. The other, the third nomination, that name escaped me earlier, is Amazon's The Boys. Now, I don't know if any of you have, uh, uh, any of our listeners have ever seen The Boys on Amazon. It is by far the funniest superhero uh, or comic hero uh, TV show I have ever seen. It is hilarious. Um, it's not safe for work. It is absolutely, <laughs> definitely not for children. But you know, it is one of the funniest shows that I've seen in a good number of years. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, took took the prize for drama, because there it is touches on some really nasty, heavy things in uh, the boys. Uh, I won't say any more. If you've not seen it, go and watch it. You'll understand it, so I'm not going to spoil it. But yeah, The Boys, Better Call Saul, and Mandalorian are all up for the Best Drama Award. See, I somebody, I think somebody on the game night told me I needed to start watching The Boys, and I haven't got around to it yet. I need to. Um, but I've heard a lot of good things about The Boys. It's um, repugnant. I, I, it that's what I've heard. I've seen... Popular. I've seen some clips. I've seen some little, you know, nuggets of things that happen. Uh, nothing. I don't think. I mean, I don't. It's all completely out of context for me. Um, so I, it's. I don't feel like any of it's spoilery. It might be. I don't even know. But anyway, uh, I, I need to start watching. And like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes it. 
just based off of what I've heard uh, about it. But uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about the Mandalorian. You you brought it up. It's about a character that never takes his mask off, and acting that way. I mean, from from what I've heard from interviews and and, and actors talking about stuff like that, that's got to be incredibly difficult to be able to portray all these emotions without you know your face being seen and. and Mando does it perfectly. You know what I'm saying? Every time he looks at Grogu, you can just see that kind of fatherly love. And you can't mm. even see his face. I do remember leaning over and telling Kirsty though, after the season two finale. Uh, I told her, look, I, I totally get uh, him taking his helmet off at the you know at the end of season one and at that one point in season two before, right, when they, the one episode that didn't have Grogu in it. Um, yeah. And I and I told her that's awesome. I totally get why they did it. But now that we have finished season two, looking back at everything, I feel and this is just me. I feel like it could have been really impactful had they never shown his face in season one or halfway through season two, and that the audience saw his face for the first time with Grogu. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and and like I said, it's just now that we finished the season is why I I'm looking back and you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, I, I, I just feel like it would have been really impactful, but you're right. It's incredible how much emotion can come through on somebody whose face is always covered, whose main character is always covered, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, and, and even in these last two seasons, the, the character progression that he's gone through from this stone cold, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold bounty hunter to, you know, giving up Grogu saying, I will see you again. I promise. And, and, and almost shedding a tear over it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. I think the the thing to take away from the episode between uh, Din and uh, Miggs, when he takes his helmet off there, mm-hmm. it lends itself to Miggs Mayfield's story arc. It does. All right, so, you know, where Miggs states to him, I didn't see your face. And he hands him the helmet back. I didn't see your face. So that, while it would be more impactful, certainly, for the viewer to not see Din Djarin until the, the final episode of season two, I think if we took that episode uh, and changed it so Miggs never saw the Mando's face, right. um, it would, uh, I mean, Miggs would still get over with the fans. The fact that he blew that Imperial officer to pieces and they just kicked off a firestorm in the middle of the, <laughs> the, yeah. in the, middle of the office's mess. The guy with the he tray just stops. He still would have gone over, all right, with the fans. But I think it lends itself more on a personal, on more of an emotional level by saying, yeah. "I understand, I understand what that meant to you." So yeah. I'm going to tell everyone that I never saw your face. So it lends itself to his character progression instead of Din Djarin's character progression. So um, I agree. No, actually, I I do agree with you. I, you've I think you just changed my mind on it. To be honest, I'm not kidding. I, I you have a you have a great point there because uh, Mayfeld has is he's kind of done uh, a little more extreme. He's kind of done the Han Solo arc that Han had in three movies, but summed up in two episodes, just that quickly. You know, going from that scoundrel to just instantly, you know, being honorable and actually caring about something other than, you know, him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I totally get that. Yeah, it, it's it's on a very personal level with Mayfield. And you're right. I think 
do I feel like they could have maybe done it where the audience didn't see his face, but, but Mayfeld still did? Yeah, but I don't think it would have been nearly as impactful on Mayfeld's character had they done it that way. Um, because even that whole conversation, seeing the look on uh, Din Djarin's face during that conversation and everything, you're right. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. I think you sold me on it. Good job, Jay. Not many people can change my mind, and you just did it. Good job, man. <laughs> Proud of you. Well, that's really the only news story we really had uh, for this week. It's kind of a slow news cycle, uh, which is okay. I mean, it's it's it is what it is. We have other stuff to talk about. We got some upcoming canon uh, that we kind of wanted to bring to the forefront uh, next week uh, on the tenth. I think it is Darth Vader number ten is going to be coming out. The comic book from Marvel. Uh, Jay, are you caught up on the on the Vader run? I am, yes. Um, I, I am caught up on the Vader run. Um, we do have, first of all, on Tuesday the 9th, we do have Star Wars Insider 200, published by Titan Magazines. Oh, yeah. But in terms of, you know, canon material, there may be short stories in the Insider Magazines. There usually is. But in terms of a dedicated canon material, yes, as you said, the next one is Darth Vader issue 10, Into the Fire, part 5. Um, Wednesday the 10th um, now I don't know uh, how many of the listeners here keep up to date with the comics um, so I don't really want to talk spoilers, uh, heavy spoilers but um, but basically yeah, they, you know, Vader has been sent on a uh, I suppose you could say a quest for, uh, from Palpatine and basically to try to rediscover himself and it's, it's really heating up, um, there's been some great issues over the over the last uh, few uh, few weeks and months of these comic books, and it's really really took a sharp turn at the end of the last issue. Um, so I'm looking forward to see next week where we go, because this this run I think is is due to end very soon. I don't think there's many many more planned or, or announced of these runs. Um, I I the la- I think the last issue I read was eight. Um, I'm going to pick up nine. We're recording this Friday. It's being released on Saturday. So Saturday, the, the day this comes out, I'm going to pick up my pull file. Um, and, and I'll be, I'll be getting it tomorrow night and, and catching up. But yeah, this, this Vader run, and it, it, it's really cool because without giving too much away, cause, cause like Jay said, I, I don't want to give any spoilers away. Um, so far with this comic, every Vader run has been very different. It's been a very different Vader in every single run basically because of where the comic takes place you know the first vader run was between a new hope and empire so it was you know a, a seasoned vader who had been vader for a while you know what i'm saying and and in the second vader run it was basically what i call vader year one where he was it was right after revenge of the sith he was still learning how to be vader he was still getting used to the mechanical limbs and and the teachings of the sith and coming to terms with padme's death and stuff like that yeah. this comic run deals with the t- with his time between Empire and Jedi. So he's already had his confrontation with Luke, and Luke gave him the finger and decided to jump to his death instead. <laughs> and Luke gave him the finger, <laughs> him the finger with his one good hand, yeah. Um, Luke gave him the finger, and now Vader has basically been, like you said, given this quest by the Emperor to rediscover himself uh, through through fear. And and the way it's it's going through is just absolutely amazing. But what's really cool about this comic is if you look at Vader from Empire Strikes Back to Vader from Return of the Jedi, Vader and Empire was straight, come with me, together we will rule the galaxy, we'll destroy the Emperor. 
And then when you come to Return of the Jedi, it's, I must obey my master. I have to take you before him. It's too late for me. Obi-Wan once thought as you did. It's two very different Darth Vaders, and nobody really ever questioned why that change was there in the films. Whoa, 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 whoa. I told you that last week, you bloody cheat. You did. No, no, you did. You you totally did. You Like I said, you opened my eyes to it. But this, Is that why you didn't put the podcast out on Apple? No, no. For those of you that don't know, yeah, I'm, I'm dropping episode 43 the same night as this one because I messed up and forgot to upload it. Sorry, guys. Like I said, I've got a lot on my plate in my personal life, but... But anyway, no, this this Vader run is really covering that and it's really explaining why there's that big difference there. Mm. You know, you know what yep. I'm saying? And yep. and uh it's it's a blast to read so far. I can't wait to pick up issue 9 tomorrow night and, and read it. And uh, I may make another trip to Wichita next week and so I can get 10 just so I can get caught up on it. But mm. I'm I'm really digging it, man. Absolutely loving the crap out of it. It's phenomenal. The artwork in it is absolutely impeccable. Uh, without going into too much detail uh, on the most recent issues, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that the majority of people it, it is are very clean artwork. Now that you say that, you know, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I would like to have assumed that those who are reading the comics have at least read some of the the, the first few novels of uh, the first few parts of uh, Into the Fire and. When you just see Vader uh, going up against uh, the Emperor, and the Emperor just brutalizes Vader, rips his limbs off, mm-hmm. and dumps him on the uh, next to the the River of Lava on Mustafar where he was found. It's a phenomenal read, and it really does kind of give you, like you uh, like you just said, it gives you more insight. Because um, I know Christian Harloff as mentioned countless times before when they talk about the Vader and Obi-Wan, you know, uh, in, in uh, A New Hope when I left you as but the learner, now I am the master. And there's always been that debate between the fans, okay, well, you can't meet Obi-Wan before episode four because it doesn't coincide there. Christian Harloff has always counted and said, okay, well, what about this very scene in Return of the Jedi where they're on the catwalk on Endor on the landing platform and he brings up this very same conversation and it's something that I've agreed with Christian with on multiple times in the mm-hmm. past when he said this and you know this comic it, it you know it's it's great it also gives uh, more insight to the second part uh, um, the first part sorry the first part of the conversation that Luke and Vader have in Return of the Jedi on the catwalk before Luke asks Vader to come with him. This gives you all the information that you could possibly need. It fills in everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's a brilliant comic run. Out of all the canon comics to date um, that I've either read or I've seen people stream, this is my favorite comic run. I didn't read many of the comics in the Legends series. By the time I got into Legends, there was way too many comics for me to get involved with. I've read some of the Dark Empire comics, but as far as Star Wars comics go, for me personally, this is the best run of comics I have ever seen. I agree. This is, out of all the Vader runs too, I think this is my favorite one, um, which is weird because I don't think it, maybe it did. I don't remember if it was number one on my canon ranking list of 2020 or not. Um, I need to go back and look, actually. I don't even know what my own ranking is. How sad is that? But yeah, no, it's it's up there. I think this is this is really 
This is a damn good comic. And and honestly, I don't I don't label a lot of canon as essential reading. There there is canon that I believe is essential reading for for people who maybe only watch the films, but this comic I think is essential reading. I really want to say that it is because I, I mean, it's so good. It's so good. And if I'm not mistaken, was this was the comic too. I believe it was this Vader run. Uh, we finally got a canon version of Vader visiting Padme's tomb. Yeah. You know, and, and stuff like one. that. And we got the return of Sabe. Yeah. Uh, the the, the, the Queen Shadow. One, yeah. A lot of references to the Queen Shadow, Queen's Peril novels. Um, and that was a cool twist too. I mean, that entire subplot, you know, of what was going on with, with her, that was an amazing story as well. But yeah, this this new story, this... This one where Palpatine just threw Anakin back and said, you wouldn't be where you are without me. Do it yourself, you know? And then we also got Ochi. You know what I'm saying? We've got Ochi, Ochi the, Ochi the Sith Hunter. Dude. Yeah, he's he's in this. Absolutely awesome little throwbacks and, and definitely a comic I think everybody needs to pick up. So, uh, yeah, issue number 10 is out on February 10th. The other thing that I kind of wanted to mention real quick, and, uh, Jay, I think you said this is called The Age of Resistance. Uh Mm. book trilogy is that what it is because I, I think it's young adult books of the sequel trilogy all three of them are coming out on the ninth is that what this is yes yeah, so with the um the ninth uh let's have a little look now i've got uh, my list here so the age of resistance the ninth of march so the ninth of march we got a hardback magazine book published by Titan Magazines, The Ultimate Journey Through the Productions of The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, with exclusive interviews with the cast and crew that brought you the story of Rey, Finn, and Poe, and their struggle against Kylo Ren and the Dark Forces of the First Order. There's also, also, on the 3rd of March, this junior graphic novel, the Rise of Skywalker. So that's something I may look into picking up. I do like the artwork for the graphic novels, and that's due to come out on the 3rd of March. See, I didn't know there was a graphic novel for Rise of Skywalker coming, which actually kind of surprises me since Marvel canceled their comic run of Rise of Skywalker um, and, and, and said that's never coming, which is going to drive me absolutely nuts having comic runs of Force Awakens and Last Jedi, but no Rise of Skywalker. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it's it's kind of surprising that they're still doing that. I, I actually kind of want to pick that up just so I have some form of a graphic novel or something for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it's been published by IDW, so they've right. been publishing the Star Wars adventure books. The the younger uh, they, they they are like kind of like graphic children's comic books, very younger, very stylized artwork, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the Rise of Skywalker, a junior graphic novel is due out for release in the U.S. on the 3rd of March. Well, there you go, guys. Upcoming canon. And uh, for those of you who, you know, want to really keep up with upcoming canon, there is going to be a segment on the the website that I mentioned earlier, Star or SWCanonPodcast.com. Uh, there's going to be a whole page in there for upcoming canon. Jay actually put together a list uh, the other day of everything that has been announced so far for the year uh, and, and its dates and put all that together, too, so... Uh, we're going to have a, a page on there, too, where you guys can go through, check out everything that's upcoming. And you guys just don't have to listen to it from us. You can check out the website 
and uh, know exactly when everything's coming out so you don't miss an issue of a comic, don't miss, uh, miss a book that's coming out, anything like that. So uh, that's going to do it for upcoming canon, guys. We've got some mailbag questions, too. So how do you guys get a question on the Star Wars Canon Podcast? Uh, you can email it to us at starwarscanonpodcast at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook, uh, on, on our Facebook page, or uh, you can send a voice message through anchor.fm slash Podcast. And uh, we may even play your question right here on the show. So, like I said, we've got five questions lined up this week. Let's get into this. Question number one comes from Jimmy Sparks. And Jimmy says, hey, Brian and crew, maybe you've already talked about this, but I just got done reading Ahsoka and I'm a bit confused on the kyber crystal color changing thing. Could you elaborate? And how is this different from the EU kyber crystals? Thank you in advance. Thanks for the question, Jimmy. Uh, so first off, yeah, Ahsoka has introduced, and, and I think this was when they first introduced it, wasn't it, Jay? The I believe, the color yeah, changing. Yeah, I think so. Be, yeah, I think this novel came before the comic book where the Empire would be bleeding lightsabers. Right. So I think this one came first. Yeah. Okay. So basically, what what's going on with this in, in the novel Ahsoka, which has been out a while? So I mean, we can we can talk about the book a little bit. Um. Uh, Ahsoka, we know Ahsoka from Rebels has got white lightsabers, uh, which we'd never seen white lightsabers before, in canon anyway. And we learned that she got those from an Inquisitor's lightsaber that had already, you know, been and been been red. And she basically used the force to purify them, which is why they're they're white. Uh this is a little bit different from what kyber crystals were in the EU because Jay, correct me if I'm wrong. I think weren't kyber crystals in the EU infused with the force weren't they crystals that you could infuse with the force and give somebody force powers yeah so in the eu uh, you had kyber crystals that were much like they are in canon uh crystals that are attuned to the force the only difference in canon is that all kyber crystals when you see them in the temples on Ilum, they're all blue in eu they were various different colors um, also with the EU, uh, with kyber crystals, you would literally just pick your color, slot it into the lightsaber, that was it. So if you picked up a yellow crystal, you had a yellow um, a yellow blade. But with uh, EU as well, there was also other crystals that you could use outside of kyber crystals. Now, those of you who played Knights of the Old Republic would be very familiar with the Crate Dragon Pearl. Uh, those who have read the uh, Bane trilogy would be familiar with Bane's Heart, which is a crystal given to uh, Darth Zana uh, by uh, Darth Bane. And, you know, there's another one as well from Star Wars Galaxy's Empire Divided. It's called uh, Bass's Wisdom. It was a navy blue, navy blue blade that would emit frostbite. So not only was it a color, Damn. it also had a property. So you could actually give people frostbite by you know, by being in close proximity to the blade. See, I didn't know that all that 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 was a thing in EU. I didn't even know that you could. I, I, where did you say that that blue one was? The frostbite one. Star Wars Galaxies Empire Divided. That's cool. I mean, that is something that I think is. I mean, I, I never knew about that. I that's I'm just learning this for the first time. I didn't know that was a thing in EU. Um, and and that's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys think that's stupid, but I think that's freaking badass. There's I mean, pages upon pages of different things that you can use, or at least in the EU, that were used in place or in conjunction with kyber crystals to adapt the uh, 
the power of the the, the, the saber. Um, we were talking recently um, before the stream, mm -hmm. uh, before the broke, uh, before the recording. There's a crystal in Knights of the Old Republic. I believe it's the second one, but if I'm wrong, guys, let me know down below in the comment section. And you only had to be a dark side user to use it. You couldn't use it if you were too in tune with the light side of the force. It's a red crystal uh, which you put in your lightsaber and it massively increases the damage um, you know, on, on your lightsaber. Uh, also another point to note uh, to you as well, Jim, that uh, in the old EU there was no such thing as a red kyber crystal. Red kyber crystals were created by uh, the dark, by the Sith. They were synthetic, crystal. yeah, yeah. That's it, synthetic crystals. Um, but it, um, in terms of the, the canon so far, uh, you know, it's it's all about bonding with your crystal in the Force, so that crystal will become attuned to you, and then the Force would dictate to you what color your blade would be. Isn't that why? Um, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Season 7 of Clone Wars. Isn't that why Ahsoka's sabers were blue in Season 7? Was basically because Anakin had, had tinkered with them and toyed with them and had messed with them enough that the crystals themselves turned blue because, I mean, it was Anakin. Because uh, well, he, was... he even made the comment, yeah, maybe they're a little better than they were before. That was my thoughts behind it. Uh, I didn't question it any further than that because mm -hmm. that is exactly what I just assumed given what we do know in canon of the... Uh, the actions of a kyber crystal. Mm -hmm. I just took that as okay, yeah, that happened. That's why they're blue. So it never really dawned on me if there was any other possibility. I just took it and ran with it. So basically, it means at this point in canon, you don't get to pick your color. It just kind of it becomes the color of whatever reflects your personality, your type of Jedi, um, and your connection to the Force. Am I basically? Am I summing it up right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, also in the old EU, there were occasions where the lightsaber color would be um, a position or a rank or, or, or a, uh, a specialty. So, for example, if you were a consular Jedi like Qui-Gon or like Luke, somebody who was not necessarily um, Luke in the old EU, someone who was not necessarily focused on combat, somebody who was more in tune with the cosmic force, then you were a consular Jedi, you'd have a green crystal. If you were a Jedi Guardian, in other words, Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, two people forged on the battlefield, you were given a blue crystal. Mm -hmm. So there were occasions where it would be dictated on specialty, so you would get given crystals uh, based on what you are proficient in. There are other instances where you would go to a cave, pick out a crystal that would physically call to you, much like they do in canon. Uh, they could be various colors. Um, didn't necessarily have to do anything to do with your specialty. Just certain crystals would call to you, which was considered rare in the old EU. Because you, in the old EU, you would literally just walk into any cave and just pick out a crystal, mm -hmm. and that would do you. There was no test like it is in canon. Uh, in the Clone Wars episode where the children go to the temple on Ilum and are tested when getting their crystals. There was none of that in the EU. Honestly, though, having that as canon now, it does make building lightsabers for non-Force users extremely difficult. It's something that, you know, if only if you have to have the kyber crystal to make a lightsaber work, it makes 
finding a lightsaber, a non-force user getting their hands on a lightsaber, incredibly difficult. Oh yeah, it could be fatal. Yeah, I mean, you look, yeah. you look at Kylo, the canon depiction, the canon reason for Kylo's uh, warped blade. He wasn't. Snoke said himself, "You're unbalanced." He wasn't focused yeah. when he created his uh, his red lightsaber, and as a result, he cracked his crystal. Now, one thing that they don't explain in the movie, but you can read in the novel, The Force Awakens, is that every time Kylo switches that blade on, he risks having the lightsaber blow up in his yeah. face. Yep. That's, I mean, that's kind of a cool aspect, honestly. If you really, I mean, I don't want to say it's a cool aspect, but it's, it's kind of a nice, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a nice variable to add to an already off his rocker character. You know what I mean? Like it's you said, that, an unbalanced character. It's, I think it's an, I think it's an awesome dynamic to add to that. Yeah. So. I think it's badass. I think it's absolutely badass. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I cool. Just, it would be nice to have seen that in the movie. So other people who don't read the novels could also pick up and, and, you know, and learn that as well. Right. Yeah. Cause I remember a lot of people were arguing whether or not those were vents on the side of his saber, which I think it turns out that's what they are, are vents for the excess energy. Um, yeah. And then, you know, or if it was, you know, uh, purposefully put there as, you know, it, it, like it actually had a purpose and a function. But no, it was just because of the the, the crystal being damaged the way it was and it needed somewhere to, to vent that extra exhaust. And that's all it was. That's it, it, Technically, it wasn't even a cross guard saber. It's not even a blade that's coming out there. It's just that extra pure energy that's coming. It's, it's not even focused. You know, it's just, I mean, basically big torch blades is all it is to uh, torch yeah. torch flames so yeah it's just raw power yeah which kind of fits in with what kylo's character is he's just raw power yeah and like, and what he wants much, that's it it's much like uh, much like anakin you know remember in attack of the clones that obi-wan had said that um was an attack of the clones or revenge of the sith with anakin it's uh when obi-wan had turned to uh, uh to mace and said you know his abilities have made him arrogant that's Attack, Attack of the Clones, yeah. Yeah, Attack of the Clones, yeah. yeah. Anakin knows he's a badass, so he doesn't train. Right. Because it becomes, it's natural to him. He's got this raw power, you know. And, you know, we, we see that in Kylo. You know, Luke explains that to us when he sees it in Rey. I've seen this part kind of strength, uh, kind of power only once before. You know, it didn't scare me then. It does now. Yeah. So we know he's just raw power, just untapped raw potential. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense having a saber reflect that, too, and having a crystal that reflects that, even though it's not his crystal, you know what I'm saying? But it it, it still reflects him as a broken individual also, you know, and, and I think yeah. it's I think it's absolutely awesome that that kind of I think I don't even think that was on purpose, honestly. It might, it might have been. I don't know. I haven't seen anything to really show that that's what the correlation was, but that's really, really cool connection. So, um I hope that answers your question, Jimmy. Yeah, the the color changing thing. I used to call it mood ring crystals because I, at first I wasn't a big fan of the idea, but it's kind of grown on me since then. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Jimmy. Thanks for sending it in, brother. Uh, question number two this week comes from Nicholas Owen, and Nicholas says, "Hello, Star Wars Canon Podcast, big fan here. Thank you guys for being a positive light in the fandom. It's something we desperately need. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that." Uh, Nicholas says, I have a question. Was Sharut a Jedi or did I miss something? It used to be only Jedi and Sith could use the force. Has that changed? Love the show guys. Keep it up. Jay, you want to take this one? Okay, sure. Now, um, was Chirrut a Jedi? No. Simple answer. Uh, Chirrut was a warrior preacher of the guardian of the wills. 
Now it's separate, but it's known to the Jedi. Um, the way to kind of wrap your head around it is they're force sensitive, okay? Um, and they have years and years and years of training, much like Buddhists are trying to achieve that uh, in uh, that uh, echelon of enlightenment. Um, now, if you kind of cast your mind back to Empire Strikes Back, this is where Luke is leaving Dagobah and Ben Kenobi pops up and appears to Luke. And Luke turns to Ben and says, I can feel the force. And Ben turns to him and says, yeah, but you can't control it. So what we see Luke go through, where, you know, through that small period of his training, a guardian of the will could take their entire life to even get a fraction of where Luke is. Now, the guardians, what they would do is uh, safeguard pilgrims on their travel to the Temple of the Wills, which is why they are based in Jeddah. That's where one of the temples are, the Temple of the Wills. Now, in regards to the Jedi and the Sith, while the movies traditionally focus on Jedi and the Sith, even in canon, there are other sectors of force users. You've got the Witches of Dathomir. Mm -hmm. You've got the Ancient Order of the Wills, the shamans who taught Yoda how to come back as a force ghost. Now, collectively, this is within EU and in canon, there are 108 recognized force categories. However, it'll be I would be remiss to not you know to you know to not say that some of these categories are very similar. You've got the legends version of the Falanasi. Alright, now the Falanasi were a group of force users who originally in the EU were the people that Luke and Leia's mother belonged to before episode one even came out. Um, in canon, they're also referenced in the uh, sacred Jedi texts. And there's a, uh, in, in Legends, what they would do is that they would have an ability where they could, uh, or what they refer to as the Adepts of the White Current, which is basically another version of the Force. What they would do is they would set up an invisible barrier. Not sure if any of you have seen WandaVision, but if you have, you get the meaning. They would set up an invisible barrier so you could stand in a field and that field could be empty. If you pass through that invisible barrier, you'd see a whole city. A whole city would appear before your eyes. They would mask their own existence so very few people knew that they existed. Now, in canon, they have a similar, a similar trick, except instead of masking, they project. So there is, uh, in the Jedi sacred texts, there is a, uh, an ability called, um, I think it's uh, Simul Futurus. Simul Futurus. And that is the ability to project one's presence over a distance. In other words, that's what Luke used at the end of The Last Jedi, to project himself across the galaxy. It's written in the sacred text. That is canon. But uh, there are 108 recognized forced categories. But as I said, there are some that are more or less clones of each other with just slight differences. But traditionally in the movies, yeah, it is Jedi and Sith, but, you know, in canon and in EU, 
there's always been more than just that. The films focus purely on good versus evil for the sake of it being um, a children's movie. Mm-hmm. But the outer law, the comics, the novels, the games, all of those expand on it greatly. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's about a, yeah, 108, 108 recognized groups. See, I didn't even know that. Um, but no, it, it kind of... It, it, we've seen other characters that weren't Jedi or Sith using the Force in the films. Uh, Maz Kanata had a connection with the Force, you know, and, and she said, I, I'm no Jedi, but I know the Force. And mm. there was even a deleted scene, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the novel for Force Awakens also, where she uses the Force to pull the ceiling down. Um, That's right. In the basement of, of, of the castle when the First Order attacks. And, and, it, yeah. and so it's not just Jedi and Sith. Those are the two that we focus on the most because, you know, they got the they got the lightsabers and it just looks badass when they fight each other. But it's like Luke said in The Last Jedi, the, or, uh, the, the Jedi were romanticized. That's what we're doing. We're romanticizing Jedi. You know what I mean? And, and, and Sith, because that's that's the the ultimate ends of each, you know, each end of the spectrum going at it. And, and it's just it's cool and it's badass. And honestly, that's what sets Star Wars apart. From other sci-fi series, you know what I'm saying? That's something that not that other sci-fi uh, sci-fi uh, series and and franchises don't have, and it's it's really really cool. So I don't see a problem having other people come in who can feel the force, and and, and like you said, Obi Wan telling Luke, but you cannot control it, you know. Um, and and yeah, I think it's it's absolutely cool. And even uh, Bay's Malbus says there are no Jedi here anymore, just fools like him, you know, and and yeah. that's all it was. Do should they have made him a Jedi? I think that'd have been badass. But yeah, no, it's I think it I think it adds to the lore, honestly. I, that you've got people out there who, you know, who were force sensitive when they were born, but the Jedi just never found them, you know, and and I, the Jedi can't find everybody. That's yeah. that's force sensitive, you know. So you've got people out there who are having these abilities and and they just kind of go with it you know like like i said Maz Kanata, who's been alive for a, over a thousand years yeah at mm-hmm. some point if she had a small connection to the force she's gonna learn how to use it at some point you know um and yeah so i it's not just jedi and sith anymore um so basically yeah that's i, I don't think it's ever really changed either because in eu weren't there people that i mean i think you just said there were people that could use the force in eu um, yeah, there's a, there's yeah. A, yeah, there's hundreds. Uh, like I said, but the, the the big one for me was the the Falanasi. Yeah, uh, that was one of the first civilizations that I came across when I read the, when I started to read the EU before I decided to go back and do it in chronological order. And uh, it was a very early '90s novel, came out way before um, uh, Phantom Menace, which yeah. is why. Um, Luke's and Leia's mother was originally, at least in the novels, was supposed to be uh, a, a, a member of this civilization. Of course, well, Phantom Menace retconned all that, changed mm-hmm. it up, so it's Padme Amidala of Naboo. Um, but in the uh, in, in the older year before the prequels came out, she was a member of this Balanasi civilization. Uh, I think as well, um, going off what you said about making sure it. Yeah, it would be badass to see him a Jedi. The way I tend to look at things, we saw how cool Chirrut was in that movie. Mm-hmm. Lifetime worth of training, right? So, uh, you know, there were multiple moments in the movie where you could see him 
tapping into the force, whether you know subconsciously or maybe consciously. I, I, I subconsciously, I, I'd like to, I'd like to think, where you know, he fights all those stormtroopers when you first see him. Um, he calls um, Andor a captain when they're uh, captured yeah. by. Um, uh, after the board, well, after by the, board by the partisans, yeah, yeah, just after the board gullet scene, when um, the Death Star fires its, uh, one of its uh, one of its reactors, and the base starts to crumble, um, he calls out uh, to Andor. He calls him Captain. Now, in the novel, Andor takes a moment, steps back. He and notices says, I it. What you I was a captain. How did you know that? Again, you don't see that in the film. But then, when we get to the very end his final scene, but I think he finally is able to consciously connect and go with the force. Mm -hmm. You've seen this movie. We've all seen it. I don't know how many times we've seen it. We all think Jared's a badass. Yeah. Now, he trained a lifetime for one moment in the force. Now, when you go and watch things like The Clone Wars, you watch Anakin, Obi-Wan, Luke, if you then go with that, with the with the mindset that Chirrut spent a lifetime for one moment of consciously connecting to the Force, these people all have a, you know, an innate ability to connect straight away. Mm-hmm. It elevates Luke. It elevates Leia. It elevates all the other Jedi. All right, because now you're seeing it from a different perspective, where you've seen a man train his entire life to have one moment. Of connectivity within the force that he was consciously aware of. That's right. But we we were grown up. We, we we're familiar. We know Jedi. That's all. That's what we grew up with. Yeah. Whether it's original trilogy, prequel trilogy, or sequel trilogy, it doesn't matter. We know Jedi, right? But when you take a step back and see it from the perspective of somebody that's trained for their entire life to have one conscious moment with the force. If you can look at it through that perspective, it elevates the Jedi to a more mythical standpoint. That these people, you know, Luke had barely any training. Uh, he had to find his way himself to lift the lightsaber out of the snow on Hoth. And Sheriff Imway spent his entire life training just so he could walk across a beach and flick a switch. He didn't pull any punch. He didn't pull anything towards him. He didn't use the force to deflect blaster bolts. He just walked forward and was able to miss the force directed those blaster bolts elsewhere. But Luke, without barely any training on his own, aid of the Jedi, was able to move the lightsaber out of the snow. And it elevates the Jedi just a little bit more in terms of how mythical and how powerful these people are. Yeah. Because we've only ever seen them from, you know, as as the as the standard, as the go-to. This is what a Jedi is. This is what I expect of, of all the heroes. No, now we're getting to see a bigger, a bigger universe. All these other characters, some of them are scoundrels, and you get these guardians of the worlds, people that spend their lives dedicated to this and they maybe, maybe in rare cases, have one in their entire life, one conscious connection to the Force. For me, when I look at it from that perspective, it elevates the Jedi that extra bit more for me. It elevates Yoda and Yoda's wisdom in Empire Strikes Back that little bit more for me. And that's how I choose to look at it. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's great that they've added more people in. You know what I'm saying? Because... 
think about this also. I mean, there's uh, who all in the galaxy had ever seen a Jedi? Hardly anybody had ever seen a Jedi. I mean, there were what ten thousand Jedi at the time of the the prequels, something like that. Uh, ten thousand Jedi to a galaxy of trillions and trillions mm. and trillions of beings. Not everybody had ever seen a Jedi. You know, they, I mean, they were a myth. You know what I mean? To, to most of the galaxy, probably. And then, you know, you've got these little people, these, I don't want to say little people, but these these people here and there, these just normal everyday people who have these abilities. And, and what are the odds of them being found? You know, 10,000 Jedi going out to find trillions of people who are connected to the Force. And we even, Yoda says it, you know, the, the, the Force is created by all living things. You know, it binds us and and, 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 and brings the galaxy together, you know, holds the galaxy together. That's why wouldn't there be people in tune with that? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, no, no nothing's nothing's really changed. It's just they've they've focused more now on the fact that it's not just Jedi and Sith. So, uh, yeah. well, look at um, Del Mico, right? Yeah. Um, Battlefront 2, that uh, cutscene between him and Luke. Now, when you look at Del Mico. It's pretty clear that this guy was alive before the Clone Wars, right? He doesn't look as if he's in his 20s. Right. The guy looks like he's in his late 30s, right? So by that point, I would at least think that he might have had some... He would have been alive to have seen Jedi uh, actively around. Mm-hmm. Now, he lived on Coruscant. Based on what he said about hearing tales of the Jedi and how much they petrified him as a kid, living on Coruscant, he probably never even saw a Jedi either. Yeah. And by the time, maybe, you know, maybe you got to that age when stories were being told, you know, Revenge of the Sith onwards. Some of the stories that he might have been told might have been from before Order 66. Right. Some of the stories he might have had might have been before then. Just these mythical creatures like like Krampus, you know, like the evil Santa Claus. Yeah. Comes to take your kids away if your kids are being naughty. Some of it know? could have been Empire, the, the Imperial propaganda too. Yeah, I mean that, that you know it could be in relation to the imperial propaganda, which to me would make sense. Yeah, you know, I mean Palpatine did say it, but you know it's not a far stretch to think that some of those conversations were being said before Order sixty six. You know, especially if you lived in some of the lower levels of Coruscant where the shady dealings were going down. You know, you didn't want a Jedi coming around and busting up your crib. Yeah. You know? Um. But, uh, yeah, you know, but I definitely think looking at Dell, I don't know how old Dell is, but looking at Dell, I would believe that he was alive and probably fully aware before Order 66. I could be wrong. The guy could be in his, I mean, it was 19 between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. <clears throat> then how, how many years have we got there between A New Hope and um, Return of the Jedi? Uh, a New Hope and Return of the Jedi, I think there's... Four years there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we got 19 for Revenge, Revenge of the Sith to A New Hope. We'll chuck down four for the original trilogy, plus another five, even though we haven't kept the five-year point. Five is just the battle just coup. So obviously at this point, it wouldn't have been a full five years yet because he was still with the Empire. That would have made him 28 at the oldest. Now, Del Mico looks like he's knocking 40. Right. You know what I mean? So, so he could have been thinking, 10 or 12, think, you know? I'm thinking Del Mico would have been old enough to know the Jedi before Order 66. And right. those stories still terrified him because, you know, 
people didn't see a lot of Jedi on Coruscant. If you lived in the top elite levels, yeah, you probably saw them on a regular basis. Yeah. Especially if you were you know, a senator or had access to the Senate chambers, um, or you know, or the, or the Senate building. But your people who were on the streets, people down in District 1313, they wouldn't. Nah, they wouldn't have liked the Jedi. They were too shady for that. They would have told the kids some really nasty stories. Yeah. Even before Order 66. Yeah, no, you're right. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's great that there's more than just Jedi and Sith now. I I really do. Um, and I and there already was, but I th I think it's I think it's not I think it's good that it's not just that exclusive club anymore. You know, I I, I really do. So thanks for sending in the question, Nick. Do appreciate it. Uh, question number three this week comes from Toby Gardner. And Toby says, hello there, fellow nerds and keepers of the force. I pose to you all this question. If you could change one plot point in any of the films or television shows, what would it be and why? Uh, love to hear your opinions. I'll take this one first, Jay, because uh, I know before we started recording, you said that was a really hard one to kind of nail down. Uh, I would, I, and I was, and I was jokingly saying that I would have stopped Padme from pulling Jar Jar's hand out of Anakin's pod racer and just let Anakin fire it up. And for why, I think the, I, I think that's obvious why. But no, to to be serious, uh, and it, and it, I feel like this would have really changed more than just stuff going forward. Uh, the end of the Last Jedi. Say what you will about Last Jedi. I think what would have been absolutely amazing it was instead of seeing this broom kid scene at the end of last Jedi, we basically see the entire first like four minutes of rise of Skywalker and, and actually move that to the end of last Jedi so that by the time the last Jedi came out, we would, you know, we'd know, Oh, Palpatine's back. And then we got to wait two years to see how that's going to go down. Cause you could do that whole scene of Kylo saying, you know, to Palpatine, uh, you know, I'll kill you. I've died before, you know, and have that entire scene of him finding him on Exegol and then ending it with Kylo saying, who is she? And then the Emperor smiling and boom, credits. And I think just move and it's not even changing a plot point. It's just moving it to somewhere else, I think would have really helped make. I think it would have saved an entire trilogy, at least in my opinion. I think it would have saved the entire trilogy. Jay, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> I'm not sure about saving the trilogy, <laughs> but for me, for me, I'd have Obi-Wan killed off in episode one. Episode one. I'd have Darth Maul kill Obi-Wan. Now, canon leader, educate me. In okay. canon, has Qui-Gon had any other apprentices aside from Obi-Wan Kenobi and the potential apprentice he could have had in Anakin? Not that I know of. Okay, so let's just assume that, for the time being in canon, Obi-Wan is his only apprentice. Now, Qui-Gon is very compassionate as far as Jedi go. He's right. a Jedi of old school. He's the Jedi that we are seeing now in High Republic. Now, for someone who wears their emotions so much on their skin, so close to the surface, what impact would Obi-Wan's death have on Qui-Gon? Because we all talk about Oh, if Qui-Gon survived, then would Anakin go down that same path? Right. Well, put Anakin aside for a second. What path would have Qui-Gon taken? Would Qui-Gon see, okay, look, the Jedi, that ain't working. You know, because 
after Qui-Gon's death, Qui-Gon's master up and left. He left, uh, uh, Count Dooku left the Jedi Order and then took on the mantle Darth Tyrannus. Um, so I would be very intrigued to see where Qui-Gon's path would have taken him. Would he acknowledge his own failings right. as a teacher? Uh, um, uh, and uh, which led to the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi, would he be detached from it completely? Would he turn really cold and then pass on that coldness to, you know, to Anakin? Or would he just, you know, wallow in, in self-doubt, pity, and ultimately become corrupted by those emotions that he held on to? That it, it's a like good question. That, I mean, that's a good one. That's a damn good point. Um, you know, it, it, you could sit here all night and just pick. I mean, it didn't have to be anything big, you know, like Alderaan being destroyed. It didn't have to be anything big. It'd just be something small. Um, you know, I, we've talked about uh, a series of comics, which, by the way, I was going to I was gonna uh, tell you this, Jay. This series of comics that we've talked about before, the Star Wars Infinities, where they take one. Yep. And none of these are canon, by the way. If you guys are listening to this and you've never heard of this, this is not canon. These came out Dark Horse days. Um Star Wars Infinities, they would take one little thing and change it and then kind of see where it went from there. And the one that really stood out in my mind was uh, The Empire Strikes Back because they did one for, I think, each of the three yeah, th three right. films. And they have all three of them at, at my comic shop in Wichita, so I'm going to see if I can pick them up tomorrow, all three of them, because um, those are a blast to read. But the one that sticks out to me is The Empire uh, comic because Luke basically dies on Dagobah. He freezes to death, or on Dagobah, on Hoth. I'm sorry, he dies on Hoth after Han finds him. Han finds him screaming, Yoda, Dagobah, all this stuff. And Luke doesn't make it through the night. And they pick up Han and Luke, and they go back to base. And uh, Han decides to leave the rebellion and go to Dagobah to see what Luke was mumbling about. And Han, and Han ends up becoming a Jedi, training with Luke, if I remember, or with uh, Yoda, if I remember right, if that's how that comic went. Uh, but I know, uh, but I remember that series coming out, and I think it would be awesome to do something like that. We're getting a series already from Marvel saying, you know, what if called what if? Why can't we have Star Wars? What if? And I mean, it, it, I, th I think it'd be amazing to have something like that. You know, we talk about what ifs all the time on this podcast. What if this had happened? What if they had done this? What if this person died and this person lived? You know, it's I, I think it's a lot of fun to sit and talk about stuff like that. But I. Uh, the reason I picked my the the reason I picked that one scene I'm trying because you guys know I'm not a huge fan of the of the sequel films I'm trying to come up with a way I want to like those films so much and having something like that happen for me I think I think it would I think it would do a lot a lot more good than it would I think I, hmm, how am I trying to say this I think it would redeem not necessarily the whole trilogy but a lot of the trilogy in a lot of people's eyes. At least then it would have looked like they had a plan. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah. yeah I, but honestly, if I had to pick one little plot point, it's going to be the Jar Jar thing. I'm, I'm just going to stick with it because Padme not going over and taking Jar Jar's hand out of the pod racer and Anakin firing it up. We got no more Jar Jar. He's gone. And nobody to give Chancellor emergency powers. And you, you know what I'm saying? Like there's no Gungan to manipulate or anything like that. Uh, and we get rid of one guy, so we get we we get rid of somebody. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going to stick with the Jar Jar thing, personally, because I'm pretty happy with the way everything else turned out. Uh, but thanks for the question, Toby. Do appreciate it. Question number four this week comes from Jody Carson, 
And Jody says, I was wondering if the rule of two is still a thing in Star Wars since Disney has introduced all of these other Sith assassins and force users. Also, could you explain the rule of two and who started it? Love you guys. Okay, so first off, we have to we have to fix something uh, in this. Disney's not the one that's introduced all these Sith assassins and other force users. That was George Lucas in Clone Wars. That was with the, I, I'm assuming you're talking about Asajj Ventress and the Dathomir witches and all that. That was all George Lucas. None of that was Disney. Um, so it's 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 not Disney that's introduced all that. But however, yes, the rule of two is still canon. Uh, it's mentioned in Phantom Menace when they're having the funeral for Qui Gon. And Yoda and Mace Windu are talking and they say, you know, always two, there are no more, no less, a master and an apprentice, but which was destroyed, the master of the apprentice. Yes, that is still canon. Uh, did it get blurred a little bit in the Clone Wars? Oh, hell yeah. It got blurred. Damn near broke the rule off. Instead of bending it, they damn near broke it off. Um, but you also have to keep in mind, too, uh, Sidious at one point, he knew about Asajj Ventress. But when he realized that Dooku might have been training her as a Sith, he told him, kill her, get rid of her. That's 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 a test of loyalty. Get rid of her. There can only be two of us, you know, um, and and bringing Darth Maul back and and the whole Savage thing. Uh, it's it's still canon. But and even in the comics, uh, hell, Palpatine has come up with several different force users as tests to maybe replace Vader down the line. You know what I'm saying? So. It's it's been blurred. The rules been bent a little bit, I think, but it's still canon. Uh, Jay, what wh what do you think so far? Okay, so in terms of the history of the rule of two, um, in the old EU, I'm surprised Brian didn't leave with this. This is his baby. I I know. I talk about it so much. I figured I'd let you do it this time. Oh, thanks, but I appreciate <laughs> that. I'll, I'll send you a couple of dollars when this is over. Oh. So, going back thousands of years, all right, there was a, effectively, there was a Sith Council, okay? Many Sith, it was called the Brotherhood of Darkness. Now, these Sith, none of them could attain the rank of Darth, okay? And the reason why is because if there was a Darth, there would be a leader, and the Brotherhood, of darkness would all fight, try and kill each other to get to that position and all the infighting, which just basically crippled the Sith from the beginning. So Bing, sickened by this, uh, of this Sith temple, where he went to the Sith temple to train with the Sith and uh, discovered uh, in the temple libraries all these different scrolls and texts from ancient dead Sith Lords and reading these texts, he was sick of what the Sith had become. So he destroyed all of the Sith with something called a mind bomb and instilled the rule of two. So there would be one master and one apprentice. Now, as far as canon goes, it's not determined when this happened. It is determined that Bane had set this up but it doesn't determine whether or not the sequence of events outlined in the books, the Rule of Two and the Bane Trilogy, it doesn't canonize those books. So although Bane does set this up in canon, it's not yet been established how. Is it the same? Uh, it, you know, I've had a little look and it does state that it's to stop the infighting with the Sith, but it doesn't specifically state 
it's about the Brotherhood of Darkness. Now, moving on with what Brian said, you know, with the assassins, Ventress, uh, Ochia, Bestoon, um, all these are tools, Palpatine's tools, the Inquisitors. Now, all these Inquisitors are, are force-sensitive, well, fallen Jedi, basically, Jedi who have been corrupted by the dark side. They're not adepts at the Sith. They've had some training within the dark side, but they've all had training in different elements. So one person could be quite adept at one specific task, but is not necessarily suited for any other task, whereas a Sith Lord would be expected to be an adept in every single task. So basically, they're not a threat. So they don't become threats to Palpatine. Um, they're just nothing but tools to be used and discarded. And that's it. Which I think that's why, if you guys have seen Clone Wars and and the way uh, Palpatine took out Savage Press and Darth Maul, because remember you had you had the two Sith, you had Palpatine and Tyrannus, Dooku essentially, but Tyrannus, and then you had Maul and Savage running around, who also yeah. claimed to be two of the Sith. And Palpatine nipped that in the ass quick. He yeah. hunted them down and, and nipped it in the ass. And I think that's because Palpatine realized they were a threat to him. They actually were a threat to him and his plan. Because, uh, I mean, they were putting together crime syndicates. I mean, they were doing all kinds of stuff out in the open. Not even behind the scenes the way Palpatine was, but just out in the open. That's right, yeah. And he went there personally to silence them. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that's why Palpatine just completely went... I just God mode on him and, and was like, you know, I've got uses for you, which we still don't know what those uses were. Um, but it's, yeah, I think you're right. It, it all comes down to what was the threat to the master. Cause you had the, like you said, the master and the apprentice, one to embody the power and one to crave it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the rule of two always was. And I think that was, there, there were times where you're right. Palpatine really did his best to kind of bring, uh, I don't want to use this, term but bring balance back to the rule of two to restore the rule of two to where it was just him and his apprentice but then at the same time like you said he was training these tools you know like the cyborgs in the in the first star wars comic and and actually he was training a new general grievous too but it was in you know it was a, a Mon Cala, if i remember right in in the first star wars run or first vader run i think um well the thing i like about poverty is if we take into consideration right well, you've just talked about the, the rule of two, mm-hmm. one to wield the power, the other to crave it. Now, on that logic, right, I think that Palpatine is an absolutely piss-poor Sith Lord. And oh, I'll I agree. Because he purposely put Vader in a choke suit. That suit, in canon, has nails all in the underlining, so it causes Vader constant pain every time he walks. He puts the life support computer right on his chest so it's there is a target spot and it makes it easy for Palpatine to shock Vader and drop him to his knees now as a Sith master right or you know you're supposed to be the strongest rules Palpatine purposely put a chokehold on Vader so Vader could never at least as far as Palpatine was concerned would never be 
able to muster the strength in the force to take out Palpatine because he's too busy focusing the force on himself to keep him walking right. without wincing over in agony. Now, um, so for me personally, I think that if there was a Council of Sith, much like there are uh, Jedi that come back from the dead, like Luke, like Obi-Wan, like Yoda, I would like to see if a Sith does ever come back from the grave, you know, and projects himself as a force ghost, it would be nice to say, hey, what do you think of Palpatine? Is he a legitimate Sith, or is he a bit of a waste of time in your eyes? I'd like to see, from a Sith perspective, what their position is on Palpatine, because Palpatine is purposely putting his apprentice in a weakened position, so his apprentice can never challenge him. Yeah. Now, going back to the previous question, um, <clears throat> Going back to what we were talking about with the the rule of two specifically, Bane. I'm not sure, Jody, if you've read these novels, but Bane gets pissed off with his apprentice because he gives his apprentice opportunity time and time and time again to kill him, and she doesn't. And he gets angry with her for not trying to kill him. Yeah. And he and he fights her all the time, punishes her because she doesn't go out of her way to kill him. She's not ready. She needs things to do first. He's like, nah, you're ready. Kill me. And she won't. She can't. Palpatine's not like that. Palpatine's not like, come on, Vader. It's time to kill me now. Because he knows that the restrictions he's put on Vader, Vader generally wouldn't be able to. Now, if you gave Vader a suit that didn't require his full concentration to mm -hmm. operate, then yeah, we, we know Anakin or Vader would have obliterated Palpatine. Palpatine states that in Revenge of the Sith when he's fighting Yoda that this kid could take both of us out at the same or could take both of us out. That was so that's well established that, you know, and even George said, you know, Anakin is the beacon of light. Mm -hmm. Um but the restrictions he put on Vader was put on Vader purposely so Vader could never pose a threat to him as the Sith master, which is not what being a Sith is all about. Palpatine is a fraud. Get him off the Sith Council. Get him off the Sith throne. He's a fraud. He's a fraud. Get him off. Well, I hope that answers your question, Jody. Uh, yeah, and, and talking about those Bane books, man, for a second, because, yeah, Jay said a while ago, I love talking about the Bane books. Uh, it, I'm not wrong, though. I'm I, not wrong. He's a fraud. I... <laughs> I, I absolutely adore those books. So even if you're just wanting to read canon, uh, I would still go pick up those those three books. Where are they? They're, they're Darth Bane, they're Darth Bane Rule of Two, and uh, what was the third one? Uh, uh, Dynasty? Dynasty of Evil. Dynasty of Evil, that's it. You're right. Um, that That's an amazing trilogy. Absolutely amazing trilogy of books. So they're definitely worth the read. That would actually answer a lot more. Um that would, I mean, that's 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 basically what Jay was talking about, where he had the thought bomb, took out the 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 army of light and the and the brotherhood of darkness. Just that guy, I G, he's my absolute favorite Sith Lord. If they if they end up making that particular story canon, he's going to be by far my favorite character in canon, absolutely by far. So, thanks for sending in the question, Jody. Do appreciate it. Uh, and our final question this week, Jay doesn't want to touch with a five foot pole. Uh, it comes with Ronnie Black, and Ronnie Black says, "It wasn't addressed to me. It wasn't. It was addressed to so, me. I'm I'm under the I gun. Will honor, I will honor the listener 
by respecting his wishes, he wanted to ask you that question, <laughs> not me. So I'm going to sit back. All right, here we go. Uh, this is going to be our last one for the week. Ronnie Black says, Brian, I've heard you say you felt that the, uh, felt like the Luke we get in the Mando is a perfect match to the Luke they shoved down our throats in The Last Jedi. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'd just like to hear you lay it out a little more and explain how you come to that conclusion. I love your show, and I hope to see you guys really make it in the fandom. Thank you, brother. I do appreciate the question, and I appreciate you directing it right at me and not just Jay, too. Uh so yes, for those of you who have tuned in to uh, my live hangouts or game night or anything like that, uh, or I, I might have even said it on the podcast, there have been a couple times where I've mentioned that the Luke we got at the end of season two of The Mandalorian, the the Billy Badass Luke, uh, matches the Luke we got in The Last Jedi. And I know a lot of people, I mean, I know they're two different Lukes day and night uh, at their respective points. But I feel like the Luke, and I'm going to lay it out, and this is probably where a lot of people are going to get pissed off at me, and that, that, that's okay. I mean, that's, if you guys disagree with me, let me know in the comments section. Oh my God, there's going to be so many comments on this episode. So, the Luke we got in uh, Last Jedi, I'll start at the back and work our way forward. The Luke we got in Last Jedi was a broken Luke Skywalker who had achieved uh, uh, being the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy who had defeated the Sith, who had helped bring balance to the Force at the time, right? Not, I mean, obviously, I mean, now it's Rey for some reason, but anyway, who had helped bring balance to the Force, even helped turn his father back to the light side. Like Rey said, Vader, the most hated man in the galaxy, Luke re helped redeem him. And we see how far he's fallen. You know, Jay, you've talked about on this podcast how he's drinking from the teat of these these you know, whales, these beach whales that come up and, and he's just drinking out of them. And, and he's showing Ray, do you really want this life? You know what I mean? Like this is, this is how far you've, you've fallen. The reason I say these are the same two Lukes is that you see Billy badass Luke and you see Luke in the Mandalorian and you see how powerful he is and you see how wise he is. Right. And you see what he's come off of from the end of Return of the Jedi and, and all this other stuff, when you fill in the gaps, because we don't know exactly everything that happened in between those those two Luke Skywalkers, right? Those two versions of Luke Skywalker. We we have the, the cliff notes, but we don't have all the details. We don't have everything that was going through Luke's head during all of it, everything. It makes total sense to me why Luke would end up where he was in The Last Jedi because of how far from grace he fell. In my opinion, the more powerful you show him, you know, to around Mandalor around the time of the Mandalorian or Return of the Jedi, the more powerful you show him, the more it makes sense to me why he is the way he is in The Last Jedi. Because the higher he flies, the further he has to fall. And it really shows what kind of an impact Ben's turn to the dark side had on him and and what all of that did to him and how he felt like he betrayed Leia and Han. And because he said, you know, Han was Han about it, but Leia, I let Leia down. It wasn't that Ben turned to the dark side. It was, he let his sister down. And it's, it's kind of like the story of Icarus's wings. You know what I mean? The higher he, the closer to the sun he flew, the further he fell. And that's why I say those two Luke's match so perfectly because of what we know what happened. In between, you know, I mean, like I said, the cliff notes of what happened. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know those cliff notes. 
that's why I say, you know, the, the, the higher you fly, the further from grace you fall. Jay, do you think I'm nuts? No, we were talking about this last week. And um, I would say I was talking as well to somebody in the YouTube comments on last week's show. Um, what I want to see is, and I'm not the only one, solid Luke content. Yes. That fills in the gaps. Yes. Content that you can emotionally connect to. Because if we can see, as you've just said, Luke continually rise, seeing that downfall, provided the emotional content is there, it would make that downfall um, seem natural. Because when you walk into the cinema, we haven't seen Luke since Return of the Jedi. That's right. In canon, there was nothing of Luke until you know, we got to um, you know, the, the, the new trilogy. There was no, no build-up, no marketing for Luke in Force Awakens. It was the whole thing. Where's Luke? Luke is missing. We find him at the end. We've waited. Some people have waited over 30 years for that one moment. They finally see him at the end. They then wait for the next movie, and it's not what anybody expected, which is always a trouble, always a problem if there's going to be a sequel with this gap, because you can't put 30 years of history in one movie. That's you just right. can't do it. Yep. If you try and do that, it's going to be watered down and pointless, and there's going to be nothing left for the rest of the movie. But you know, It is a bitter pill to swallow when you see it. Uh, how far Luke has fallen when we have no concept of why he's fallen we have no attachment to Ben at this point he's just a, a, a rand, he's just another character we've not spent any prolonged time with Ben at that point when the film came out so if we can get moving forward that really good content that strikes you emotionally much like we did with the Clone Wars the Clone Wars had the same impact uh, to a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. specifically and as I mentioned in the last week's show, I'm only speaking as myself from my generation, people who saw Star Wars before the prequels. It's I can't speak from somebody who saw the prequels first because they've got a different perspective on it than I have. It's not a right or a wrong perspective. It is a right perspective. It's perfectly fine and it's a right perspective, but it's a different perspective to mine. So from my generation, when a lot of them saw the prequels, it was such a contrast specifically between episode two and three because of the jump in time from episode one to episode two, episode two to episode three. It was just the sharp contrast of different characters, right. which jarred a lot of people. You then have the clone wars fill in, fill in that backstory. I've seen people who didn't care for the prequels. I've watched them with you know watch the clone wars watch rebels go back then and then they watched the final duel um in revenge of the sith and they just cried they cried because after 20 years they watched the clone wars and then they finally got that emotional content yep. and i think if we can get that solid emotional content that features luke ideally on screen it needs to be on screen this content yes you can have comics and you can have novels but it needs to be on screen i agree we can get that emotional content much like wandavision one series is all it needs you know we can have a couple of episodes where it's like they've done with um, mandalorian they can have uh, you know somebody come in play the body of mark you could yeah you could recast if you want to i personally don't want to recast but ultimately it's money disney gonna really spend the money on a cg character right. for, for two or three hours 
It doesn't bother me the way it looks. It makes no difference to me because I know Mark Hamill is voiced in it. I know for me it's the Luke Skywalker. But if they go with a, a recast, hey, whatever. Okay, it's, it's a recast. And then you can then, much like WandaVision, each episode jumps forward a bit. You can see then all the students, more students coming in. Build emotional content with Luke. By, say, episode three, episode four, bang, chuck Mark Hamill back on front of the camera. You know, dye his hair, dye his beard, make him nice and trim, very small beard, make him look a bit younger. And then, say, right, Mark, moving forward now. And then eventually, then we get to Last Jedi, we see what happens, and everyone's heartbroken because they've seen the story. Not heartbroken because they don't understand the story. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly why I I, I think yeah. Well, first off, you're right. We do need more content with Luke Skywalker and stuff that we can connect with. You're you're totally right. Um, and, and like you said with Clone Wars, that's a perfect example of filling in that gap and making it make sense. And that's I mean that's that's basically my my defense on why those two. And honestly, the more they show us of Luke being a badass when he was younger. The like you they said, the more tragic that fall is going to be. Because Luke even said it in Last Jedi. He goes, "I was a legend. I was Luke Skywalker, you know, a, a, a legend." And that's what we that's what we as an audience, you know, the people that don't like what they did with Luke, that's what Luke what he's a legend to them, you know. That's those are the stories that they grew up with of him being a badass and all this stuff, and Luke realizing that he couldn't live up to that. You know, that 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 thought that everybody had of him, that image of him that they had. And I mean, honest to God, even though Luke was broken in The Last Jedi, look at what he turned around and did at the end of that film. He still came back and it was Billy badass Luke Skywalker again and, and did something that no Jedi in canon so far has ever been able to do. And I mean, even he being as powerful as he was, it still killed him, but he was still able to do it that force projection, you know what I mean? So I don't, everybody wanted Luke uh, to be this most powerful Jedi ever. They got it. And they just, I guess people don't realize it. I don't, don't want to say they don't realize it, but it's not in the, it's not in the form that they wanted. You know, I think everybody wanted Luke running around with a lightsaber swinging it in the last Jedi. And, and I think that's what everybody wanted. And that's not what we got. And in my opinion, what we got in the last Jedi, not everything has to be flashy laser swords. It's, him showing how powerful he was in the Force, even after being disconnected from it for, what, five, six years? And he just comes back, jumps back on the bandwagon, and is able to do this again? Absolutely amazing, in my opinion. Absolutely love it. So uh, I hope that answers your question, Ronnie. And for those of you who want to argue with me, you are more than welcome to do so. Please keep it civil, though. That's all I ask. Let me know in the comments section, what do you guys think? And uh, I, I, I actually, I'm really looking forward to reading your comments on that, to be completely honest. So, uh, Jay, was there anything else we needed to talk about this week? Um, there is one thing that I'd like to say. Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, we do have a Discord server. If you fancy it, jump in. It'd be great to speak to you more often and also as well, potentially organize some gaming events. But today we had our very first squadrons flight we had a nice little uh, nice little squad we got uh, myself canon one canon two hermitcraft canon three i can't think of a name canon four vincent we've got one spot left for first flights now we do have 
our young man in reserve, currently stationed at home base, providing intel round the clock, Dark Lord of the Steph. Steph, you know, his game copy comes in a few days, so if you want to jump in a Buchanan 5, jump in quick, because I want to run a lot more games with you guys. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you, hear your experiences with Star Wars. You know, if you don't want to play the games, that's cool. Jump in the Discord, just shoot me a message. Hit me up on the general chat. I'm here to talk to you 24-7. Fair enough. Yeah, no, uh, like Jay said, we've got a Discord server now. You guys are more than welcome to hop on, join, talk Star Wars with us. We've got channels for literally anything you could possibly want to talk about with Star Wars. Jay's done an amazing job setting that up and helping moderate it too, man, doing a really great job on that. And uh, I haven't really been active on the Discord lately. Like I said, my personal life's been hectic the last couple few weeks uh, with, with stuff from my day job and, and trying to keep going with the website and everything like that. So please forgive me guys for not being on there very often. I'm going to start doing better on that. I promise. So, uh, the link for that discord server can be found in the description of this podcast. Make sure to check that out guys hop in there. And like I said, talk, whatever you guys want to talk about star Wars wise, uh, with us. Uh, if you guys want to get a question on the star Wars Canon podcast in the future, like I said earlier, you guys can email it to Star Wars Canon Library, or I'm sorry, Star Wars Canon Podcast at gmail.com. That still gets me once in a while. Uh, you guys can send us a question that way or on the Facebook page or through Anchor. So uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button and that notification bell so that you know when we upload a, an episode of Game Night or if you know if we go live for a, a hangout or anything like that, definitely uh, check that out also. So, Jay, if we're not missing anything else, I think that's going to do it for the week. Nice. Beam me up, Scotty. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, this is Brian and Jay signing off. And as always, guys, may the force be with you. <laughs>